Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome everyone to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant, and I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007, and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage of recovery from sexual abuse. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Folks, I'm so excited to have here with me today my guest, Keeper Katran Whitney, and he is going to be sharing with us about a super duper important topic that I'm kind of kicking my butt in the pants for, for not having had more awareness around up until this time, but he is going to be sharing with us about the pain that's felt when, you know, brothers are silenced and left out of the conversation about trauma when, you know, a sibling uh, is is, uh, abused. And so it's a deep topic. It's an important topic. And Keeper is really here to share about his journey and his experience and to just raise some awareness about this. And I have to tell you all that Keeper has journeyed. Okay. He's seen <laughs> some stuff. Okay. From being a drummer and a singer with his family, the Whitney family. Yes, you can find them on YouTube and check out some of their songs, you know, performing around the world and Oh my gosh, going to so many different schools and also homelessness wow. all the way to, you know, this place today of being an author and an advocate and a voice 
Um, his book that's coming out is Helplessness, The Hidden Trauma Brothers Experience Once We Learn Our Sisters Have Been Sexually Abused by Our Parents. Uh, and, you know, he was really inspired to write this book after hitting dead end, after dead end of finding content and resources on this topic. And I'm no stranger to that. So much of my work was born out of a place of frustration of like, oh, mm. there's just nothing out there that's like what I needed to be. And this is just part one of a three-part series. So please be sure to follow Keeper and stay, you know, on top of what he's doing out in the world. He is married to a wonderful Jewish woman, Patty, and they have a daughter wow. and a son B and a wonderful daughter-in-law, Tomi, who is Japanese. And oh, we they have a German shepherd. That was my first dog ever, was a German shepherd. Love them. Oh, it's a German shepherd mix husky, um, Logan. And yeah, he's kicking around in Southern California and is just, uh, you know, here with us today to share his experience and his story. And we may even get into Harry Potter because I know you're a fan and me too. Oh, wow. You have, you have done some homework. Yes. Keeper. Yes, yes. Welcome, welcome, hun. Oh Thank my you. gosh. So um, yeah, I just, when I got your email and started reading a bit more about what you've been up to in the world and the conversations that you're wanting to start about this topic, I was like an immediate yes. Like, yeah, of course, no brainer. Have to have you on. And um, so let's get into your story and your journey a little bit. Yeah. I know a lot of our conversation is going to be through the lens of being a sibling to someone who was experienced abuse, but I know that you also experienced abuse yourself. And so there, there are layers here. There are pieces that we really want to kind of unpack, but maybe you could start by just telling us a little bit about your journey. Well, uh, first of all, let me say, uh, Rachel, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to be here. Uh, your story is quite a story in and of itself. So thank you. I do want to say, uh, I do want to get a shout out to my daughter, Sydney, who will say, you mentioned B, you mentioned Tommy, but no one mentioned me. So my daughter, Sydney, is as well. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm to name off. Okay, okay. Uh, oh, yeah. she will let me hear about it. That's that's for sure. Hi, Sydney, what's up? <laughs> we see you, we hear you. <laughs> Making sure we shout out to Sydney. Good. Okay. Uh, my story as a brother, when our mm -hmm. sisters are sexually abused and we hear about it, we learn about it, we are, for the most part, completely left out of the conversation. It is as though our emotional uh, trauma behind the knowledge of that doesn't exist. And it does, and it's very real. And so that is what I have been up to. Um, as far as I can tell, Rachel, I am the only one talking about elevating the voices of brothers in the child sexual abuse space from the standpoint of being collateral damage, if you will, because of what we have now learned, we might not be the direct victim of the abuse, but we are victims nonetheless. And so there is a place that I feel brothers should be part of the conversation. Uh, I will tell you how it all rolled out for me. Yeah. Uh, in 1970, 1971, 
in Los Angeles, we had started singing because uh, we needed to make some extra money. We were very poor. And you mentioned a number of schools I went to. I went to uh, 11, 12 different grade schools before I graduated high school, graduated high school. We lived in 21 different places. It was a, a homeless three times. And so we were constantly trying to figure out ways uh, to, to make money. And our mother, who had, who had started singing and come from a very very good singing family asked if we kids wanted to sing with her. I have three brothers and four sisters that are, uh, 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 they're not half brothers and sisters. They have another 16 half brothers and sisters. So we started singing, which was great. And as we started doing so, we became very popular in, in Los Angeles to the point that one day we got a call while we were rehearsing and it was Michael Jackson from the Jackson Five wanting to, let us know that I've heard about you guys. You guys should keep going. Do not quit. They were like, Michael Jackson's calling our house to talk to us. That's you have dope. got to be King Kitty. Yeah. It's soon to yeah. be King of Pop. Ooh. So jump cut six years later in 1977. Yeah. We have been picked by Motown to replace Michael Jackson and Jackson 5 after they lost, after they lost him to Epic Records. Yep. So a family meeting was called uh, to let us know what day that week we were going to sign the contract. I mean, we were gone. Fame and fortune, here we come. No longer being impoverished. All that stuff was gone away. So my sister screams upstairs, Keeper James, Daryl Aaron, come downstairs, family meeting. Like, cool, this is it. We're on our way. I get into the living room. My three sisters, are, my three youngest sisters are sitting on the couch. My oldest sister is pacing the archway and she's very angry. I don't know why, because this is supposed to be a joyous occasion. Yeah. My three other brothers are already in the living room as well. But I walk in and I'm thinking, I don't know what everyone's upset about. My mother and my stepfather then walk in and my stepfather goes and he sits down in a brown recliner. And he immediately bends over and does this. Oh, yeah. Come and I'm thinking, yeah, wait a minute. Is he sick or something? This doesn't make sense. Right. So my mother walks to the front of the room. And she's a very bubbly person, effervescent, just constant, you know, energy, energy, energy. But this time she's stoic. She didn't say a word. And then she says the words no brother could ever prepare for. The words no brother could ever comprehend what they, they would hear. She says, your stepfather, Willie, has been molesting your sisters. And really, what just happened? Yeah. Wait How a minute, say that again. Are? At the time, uh, 16. 16, okay, yeah. And Man. then she says, I have known all along oh my gosh everything about my family as tight as we were because we were very tight everything that i believe my family to be lay in shambles on the living room floor yeah. now the odd part about this rachel is of the 10 people coming to the meeting only four had no idea what the meeting was about my four sisters knew, 
my mother and my stepdad, they all knew, obviously my sisters, because they had already been experiencing the trauma of it. Yeah. And the reason yeah. why I bring that up, because as sad as that is, they had a chance to prepare for what was coming, what was about to right. be said. Right. We four boys, we had no clue. Everything just broke. And at that point, after hearing that, my oldest sister, and I'm really cutting out a lot of things here because I know there's a lot we want to get to, spun around and pointed at us four boys and said, you can't talk about it ever. It didn't happen to you. It only happened to us girls. But the reality is it did happen to us. It sure did. Wow. And yeah. I understand why my sister did that. She's got to protect herself. She's got to protect her, her, her younger sisters. But it did happen to us. And as soon as we found out, we were victims and we now were carrying a, a burden. But because she said we couldn't talk to them, the people we needed to speak to the most just told us they wanted nothing to do with us. Right. And so we were silenced. There was no place for us to go. There was no one for us to talk to. And as a brother, what do you do? What do you go with this? Because as time went by, we would hear whispers. How come you didn't say anything? How come you didn't protect us? How come you didn't know? How come, how come? Like, and we had no idea. But that didn't mean we weren't going to be um, challenged. Yeah. And so as a brother, what do you do? There's really no place that you can go. There are no books, there are no documentaries, there are no movies, there are no talk shows, there are no People magazine interviews about brothers. We can yeah. get a, a magazine, get, rather a magazine interview by a man who has been sexually abused, of which I know because six years before my sisters were sexually abused, me and my older brother were sexually abused by our babysitter almost daily for six months. So... Yeah. The sexual abuse coin, I'm on both sides. I am the direct victim and I am the indirect victim. So I understand both. Yeah. So uh, there's just nothing out there for brothers. And I've spoken to so many men over the years and they are like me. I couldn't say anything. There was no place mm -hmm. for me to go. My sisters mm -hmm. want nothing to do with me. And I'm carrying mm -hmm. this. And I know of uh, sisters who've told me three that their brothers have committed suicide once they found out because they weren't there to protect them. But if we don't know, we don't know, but we still carry this trauma. Yeah. Keeper, thank you for sharing, you know, your story with us. And I know there are other layers and other pieces to it. And yeah. what I'm really present to is kind of that just the immediacy like I, I can feel myself in that living room I can feel that moment of shock of the news you know being dropped at your feet and before you've even consolidated it integrated made sense of it you're being told you don't get to speak about this. You don't, right. and, and in many ways it's you don't get to feel about this. You don't right. get to have right. opinions about this. Um, and it also shuts down even potentially being a support and a resource. Yeah. And then the place in which that sense of kind of blame echoes over here, you know, this idea, whether internal or like the voices outside of you, 
And then you don't have any recourse to even engage in that conversation Correct. because it's just silencing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, we are, from my sister's perspective, we were viewed more guilty than my stepfather because we didn't know. And we are only guilty just to just by uh, proximity of gender because we are male like yeah, him. that projection happened. And that, yeah. yeah, that that made us guilty. And as I began to look around and try to find, as you mentioned in the opening, there is nothing for brothers, yeah. even this to this day. Yeah. Um, there are well there books. is now honey because you are on the scene i i, I am you're creating the conversation yeah. you're creating the resources you're making it exist and i think that's powerful and admirable but it comes out of decades of being in a silo Correct. being you know un unsupported and while there might've been resources to support you around healing your sexual trauma, the secondary trauma, the indirect trauma, as you named it, still sits there and, yeah. you know, impacts the way that I, can you speak to that a little bit, like the impact on you? How did that affect your life to be put in that position? To be put in that position, the impact really cut to the core of my self-esteem and my self-worth. I see. Yeah. Because it, it was essentially stripped away. To be told mm -hmm. I can't talk about it was being told I don't matter. Mm -hmm. What my thoughts are don't matter. Essentially, we four boys and other men who have had to deal with the same thing, we don't matter. And so to know that you want to do something, you want to have the conversation, but then you can't. I, there is a quote that I really like, and it goes something like this, and I'll just paraphrase. What it means to be a brother is being able to protect the honor of your sisters. That's what it means to be a brother, which I really like, and not being able to protect their honor. And I have to tell you, uh, it, it took me quite a while to figure out what I was going to do, because there were some days when it was just really dark. The mm. vivid imaginings of what happened to my sister beginning in 1971 when we started singing, imagining my sisters being pulled into a closet, imagine my sisters being brought into my mother and father's uh, 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 bedroom. And in talking to my sisters about it, they have told me what I imagined it to be was exactly what it was. And so knowing that I'm dealing with this and because we were singing, there would be certain songs that would just cut to the core of oh, what yeah. I was feeling. And if I'm driving or if I'm watching TV or if I'm, I'm just talking to someone or seeing an article, it just immediately pulls me down. And I had to try to figure out a way to find hope in the middle of all this. My sisters, my, our mother said she was going to handle it. And so my brothers and I took a step back. She did not handle it for nine years. Oh, goodness. And so wow. as a brother, as we're getting older, we're like, well, wait a minute. You said you were going to handle this, and yet we're still trying to figure out a way how to get out of poverty. And knowing all along, even though our sisters don't want to hear from us, 
we need to do something. So in 1986, three months before I got married, I went to a very dark place. The only thing I could think of leading up to my wedding was I have got to get this man out of the house from being around my sisters. If I don't do that, I am not going to get married. Yeah. So about a few weeks before I got married, I was pacing in my bedroom and waiting for my stepfather to come out of another bedroom. And when he did, we met at the top of the hall, at the top of the stairs in the hallway. And I gave him, I, he's six foot six at the time, 240 pounds. I'm five foot eight, 140 pounds. See how outweighs me about what, 100 pounds. But I gave him, I said, you have 24 hours to leave this house because if you are still here by this time tomorrow, you will be dead because I will have killed you. Yeah. I had the instrument in his, of his death in my bedroom. Either he was going to be dead in 24 hours or I was going to be dead, which would have made the matters much, much worse for everybody. But I wasn't thinking there. But as a brother, that's where I went Yeah, with all sense. of this. And so I almost killed a man over this, over the lack of, I just felt that I needed to bring some sort of closure for my sisters, but that was the wrong closure. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't realize it at the time. Yeah. Well, you know, what this makes me think of is just the place in which when we are, when we feel cornered, when we feel helpless, when we feel like we've been stripped of agency, mm -hmm. it breeds desperation, Sure. right? And so, you know, the ways in which, like, it, it all makes very much good sense to me that you would reach that point. And um, I'm glad it didn't come to play, you know, that it didn't go down that road, but to feel that sense of desperation and also just deep anger, you know, when you've not been given any safe space to process your feelings. And that means, therefore, you've had to suppress and repress and push it away and push it away and push it away. At some point, like it's going to hit a boiling point and it's sure. going to come out and not always in the best ways, but that's why having a voice and having a say is so critical for people who have experienced trauma and 100% for the people who are in the orbit of the people who have experienced the trauma. Well, um, it's, because it's, it is it's as though, it's as though brothers are inconvenient truth in the conversation. You know, we mm. know that they're there. They know we exist, but no one wants to, right? we must keep it a secret because after all, we're talking about boys, men. Mm. And, yeah. you know, we, we have mental health and we have mental illness. They're two different things. We need to deal with the mental health aspect of this. We are not yeah. an inconvenient truth. We are not a taboo when it, a subject uh, in the uh, umbrella uh, conversation of child sexual abuse, we are real, we are here, and we need to be able to express it because those boys, in our case, grow up to be men. And how mm -hmm. we treat women and girls will be directly impacted by the support we do not get or that we do get. Yeah. And so it becomes a community conversation. It becomes a community need that brothers 
have the ability to express what they're dealing with and find support uh, and have tools created for us. 100%, 100%. Do you think that, so you said something there that I wanna ping off of, which is that there, part of the reason why there's this silencing, particularly of brothers, is because of the gendering that's happening. So we have a male perpetrator. And mm -hmm. so there's this collapsing rather than separation of, you know, individuals, you get kind of lumped in. So yeah. do you think that that, um, because of that, we don't see the same dynamics happening when let's say it's a brother and the sister, it's a sister sibling who's the secondary, you know, trauma mm -hmm. or, you know, two brothers or two sisters, there's a very specific dynamic here that you're speaking to. Is yes. that, do I have that right? Yes, I think you're absolutely correct. And to be fair, I think it's natural because historically men, the way we have treated women have created that narrative, have created that expectancy. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not a bit surprised and no one should be surprised. However, that does not mean the need for brothers and support for brothers uh, uh, should be absent. Uh, Agreed, yeah. Men, we sure. grow up in an environment where we're expected to be strong, where we're expected to not mm -hmm. show frailty in any way, to be expected to not be vulnerable, but that is so wrong because that only creates toxic masculinity. Yeah. And we need to be able to express how we are feeling about especially something like this when it involves our sisters. Mm -hmm. Because the narrative is, how do, how do I say this? The narrative is not controlled by men in any way when it comes to sexual abuse. And it shouldn't be, but we should be a part of the conversation. Yeah, uh, We are at a point where instead of creating allyships between those innocent brothers and men who can not only uh, support and uh, help women, we are we have a situation uh, where we're more like enemies in the conversation. Yeah, I mean, you're you're immediately labeled and defined as. And yeah. I would speak like that the job for, you know, us ladies on the other side of the aisle here is that we must not be immediately ready to label and define a man as unsafe, perpetrator, you know, destructive purely because of gender. It, it kind of goes, it, it's really a little bit of the work. Even though women have experienced trauma, even though we hold that, right, there has to be, in order to become allies, right, there's, there are things that are happening on both sides of the aisle. And I think for women to be able to say, this is the person who harmed me, mm -hmm. and this is the person who wants to love and support me. And to be able to see that distinction, and there's some work that has to be done in order to do that. But the pathway to that is conversation and communication, mm -hmm. rather than this kind of separation and silencing. And you go over there, and you deal with your stuff, and we'll be over here, and we'll deal with our stuff. Instead, how do we come together? And and that's, you know, I think I know that that's one of the big things that you you care so much about is how sisters and brothers become allies. How right. do we break this cycle? How do we break these patterns? What do you think are some of the, the steps that have to be taken in order to get there? Well, I think as it relates to brothers, one of the things that we have to do is be able to be able to admit that we are in trauma, that we are in crisis, because without 
that acceptance, any chance of healing is almost impossible. You know, you have to be able to accept. And that's a hard thing because we have been conditioned to not say that, to not mm -hmm. have that be part of who we are. But that's a reality because, un because like DNA, our trauma will self-replicate like DNA and it yeah. will manifest itself in other areas of our life that we are not aware of or even understand that are happening. So we have to accept this as a reality. Then for brothers, we need to get, we need to be able to find someone to talk to. And this is what you're talking about, having that conversation. Now, will it be uh, probably with a woman initially? Probably not. But you have to find someone, find some guy, find someone that you can talk to that will allow you to express and release some of the trauma. There is many different ways that you can go about it, but the greater way is one-on-one -on -one is, is great. There's no question about it, mm -hmm. but it needs to be part of a community. Uh, 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 it needs to be healing by community. Lots of conversation, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. it really does. And as I said, for sisters and women, I get it. I really do get it. Mm -hmm. Of the eight of of the eight children in my family, seven of us have suffered sexual abuse. That's an incredible number. Yeah. And um, yet the ratio of women compared to men, my my older brother says it best, I think, to be a woman in this world. There's, there's, you are a target every day of your life. Yeah, men, we have our challenges, but compared to a woman, it's not even close. But that doesn't mean brothers should be left out of the conversation once we learn what's going on, because now we are traumatized. And for yeah. me, mine started to take yeah. on the PTSD mm -hmm. type mm -hmm. of uh, characteristics, which I think is what happens for a lot of brothers in this conversation so yeah. how do we get brothers into the conversation so we're not left out so we can get the type of support that we need uh this is one what the, i am searching for yes well one of the things that i just thought of as you were sharing that is uh one of the very first lessons in beyond surviving is trauma is not a competition and I'm really working, yes. you know, yeah. you know, with with my clients to say whatever your experience is, it matters. And so while like there's a place that we sit, I think it's beautiful the way that you sit in an acknowledgement of the 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 weariness that women feel, the challenge that women feel going out into the world. And that is real. And it is big. And it is every day. And the experiences that you've had as a man and as a brother are just as important. And so there's there has to be this way that we hold space for all of the experiences because otherwise we do get this dialogue of like, well, what do you know? You don't know what it's like to be a woman. Right. You're not dealing with this. Right. Um, I, I, and... I, I, I've had that a couple of times. I've gotten, mm. I've sat down with a few women to tell them about the experience of brothers. And within 30 seconds, they say, you can't talk about it. You don't understand. 
you brothers don't have a say. It's not until I tell them, well, I was sexually abused. And then they kind of stop and say, oh, I didn't know. But that's just the point. You shouldn't have yeah, to know. It shouldn't have to be that. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But the, that's but but the uh, reason that is is because of what men had done. Mm -hmm. And women are protecting themselves. It's not the fault of women with that particular uh, aspect of this conversation. Men have created that environment. And so the narrative, uh, and justifiably so, is controlled by women. Mm -hmm. And uh the there can be tremendous uh allyship here uh and we can help each other be, to expand the support for women can include those innocent men who are willing to step in and do the work which is what i'm willing to do yes yeah, I've seen it in my own work, you know, when I've run groups and I've, uh, you know, had men in the program and they've come to the group calls, there's a little bit of that, you know, kind of like, whoa, <laughs> having to reconfigure the cellular level of like, okay, I'm going to be open to this. But, you know, again and again and again, both sides of the aisle, wow, that was so healing to be able to be in conversation, you know, with a man and to be able to see, you know, to challenge the narratives that we hold um, about men as always being bad or perpetrators or out to get something and whatever the narratives and the stories are. And so, yeah, being unified and coming together individually, men with men, women with women, and then collectively, I think is such a, a beautiful thing and I'm I'm just curious how this has played out for you in your life, in your relationships with your siblings. Um, has there been restoration? Is it still a struggle? What does that look like today? I will tell you, for instance, with the book Helplessness, it's from a brother's perspective. But three of my sisters contribute to the book. Oh Two gosh. of my brothers contribute to the book. So you're going to get a full family view and our uh, recollections will differ uh, uh, from person to person, from gender to gender, from brother to sister. But yeah. for my sisters to participate and they are participated in the next book, hopefulness, and they're participating in the last book, happiness. Mm -hmm. My relationship with three of my sisters are now amazing. Uh, it took me 45 years to get to the point to where I could talk to them. I was so afraid yeah. to talk to them because you know I had already been told you can't talk about it, but I knew I needed to write something. Mm -hmm. And Rachel, I would pick up the phone to call. That thing weighed 10,000 pounds. I'd set it down because I was yeah. afraid of what was going to come back at me. Hmm. But time can, it doesn't always, time can do a lot of healing. And with time, you oftentimes get the different understanding, a different perspective. And so when I finally got to speaking to my sisters, they were so embracing. They were so welcoming. I couldn't believe it because we still hadn't had the conversation. Uh, my brothers, I, two of my brothers, they are still finding their way through. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. So 
but that was only because I was willing to make the call. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. we would be around each other at family events. But until I talked to them about it, it was always, well, let me stay back over here a bit. Yeah, there was what a are they, sense. Yeah, yeah, what are they thinking about me when they see me? Yeah. You know, there, there, there were plenty of things I could have done, should have done. And uh, I was just so locked down, afraid to do anything. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, it is, it's wonderful to be involved with, with three of, of my sisters. Our families are very close. We do a lot of things together that years, that 10 years ago, we would never have done. Wow. Well, cheers to that. And yeah, what a testament to that little moment of like vulnerability and bravery. And I'm just going to do it because yeah, there's like, you know, it takes time and it takes the time that it takes for us to sometimes be ready, you know. Yeah, but so you have to be willing to, you have to be willing go. to take the step, take yeah. the lead. Yeah, yeah. There's a book, a best-selling book by Susan Jeffers called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Mm-hmm. I would pick up the phone. It took me a month to call each of my sisters. I was so afraid to talk to them about it. Uh, but I knew if I was going to do anything, I could not move forward without talking to them. Right. And so we, we were able to do that. Keeper, when you think out five years from now and, and you think about the vision that you have and what you hope to see, you know, existing in the world um, as a result of your voice and your efforts and your story and your books, tell me a little bit about that vision. What do you hope to see down the road? Well, uh, Rachel, what I hope to see is a better understanding, certainly, on the topic uh, uh, with women and men and brothers and sisters. That's really what I want to happen. I want brothers to have an elevated voice in the conversation five years from now. But I also wanted to be able to heal the families of those that have been traumatized, be it if you're a direct victim or an indirect victim. I want to be able to see one of my big dreams is to create that first set of tools or systems that assist brothers. And as we move out in this conversation five years from now, I really envision a situation where I am on stage with my three sisters and my brothers, and we are talking about this wherever it goes. If it, if it stays nice and tight, great. But if it goes sideways, that's the way it's supposed to. Hmm. Mm. But to be able to see people to see, okay, this is what a family went through. And now look at them. They're up there together talking about this. They're up there together expressing and showing that it can heal if we are willing mm -hmm. to be able to, to, uh, to, to talk. So that is really what I'd like to see five years from now. I think I can make that work because I, I think for me, my family's trauma our experience does not need to end in tragedy. It could be right used to help other families. And yep. that is at the core of what I want to do. It took some of my siblings a while to wrap their head around that because mm -hmm. it might mean that they need to step out of themselves a little bit because in order for us to heal, we need to be able to be vulnerable to tell our own individual stories. 
not right. always easy, as you know. That's right. But for but for the world to see a family talking about it together, brothers and sisters side by side together, I think could be a very, very powerful message. Oh my gosh, you're making me you're making me tear up, people. This is too much. It's too much. I uh, adore you world changer and I see you and I support you and if there's anything I can do to you know support you in that vision I am here um, an ally in that and just a, a champion of your vision and uh, your effort because it is so important that we understand the more everybody is healed the better off our world is. When yeah. we leave anyone behind in the conversation, we are missing the point. Yeah, and brothers are left behind in the conversation. Yeah. So let's put an end to that. And this is a beautiful start to that. And when does your book come out? My book would be out uh, third quarter of this year. Okay, great. So right around when this is coming out. And yep. so um, folks listening, please pop over and check out Keeper's website, Keeper Katran Whitney and um, dot com. And I'll be sure to put the link there in the show notes. Um, Keeper, do you have any final words for our listeners today? Well, the final thing I, I think I would say is it's okay. Really, it is okay what you're feeling. There's nothing wrong with it, especially for you men. Don't get bogged down in people might know that I'm vulnerable or that I'm hurting or all, all, all of that stuff is trivial. All of that stuff is just commentary. The real story is what do I need to do to not only heal me, but to heal relationships with my sisters and then we can heal the family. It is all right. That is the big thing. I. My wife is the one who told me that I was a sexual abuse victim. I had no idea until eight years ago. We were in bed and she's, I'm telling her, you know, I want to talk to my sisters about this. I really want to talk to them. And she says, you know, you're a victim. And I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm said, not. <laughs> yes, you are. And I'm like, no, I just want to talk to them. She says, look at you. You're a mess. Just talking about mm, this. You are sure. a victim. Yeah. I had been sexually abused by my babysitter and I still did not recognize that I was a victim until eight years ago. Right. Because there right. was that denial. So for brothers, it's okay. Really, it's all right to move away from the denial. Yeah. Uh, talk to someone, find at mm -hmm. least one person that you can talk to. Give yeah. Rachel a call. She is fantastic. <laughs> Talk she to her. This is, this is what yes. she does. She is perfect because mm -hmm. I'll tell you, not everyone is as open about this. I spoke to three therapists and they told me they female therapists and they told me they could not help me because I was a man. Damn, damn, damn. Oh. <laughs> uh, so terrible, right? Absolutely. Brothers, men, your stories matter. Yeah. Your experience matters. You deserve healing support and resources and care and loving and nurturing. So reach out to me, reach out to Keeper, be in touch. And Keeper, again, just thank you so much um, for your time, for your story, for your wisdom. And uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you. Definitely look forward to staying in touch with you. I will need to come to, to your part of California. 
Yes, come visit San Francisco. Yes, yes. <laughs> Perfect. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in and joining us today. Um, as always, you can pop over to rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and explore the resources on the site. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and then come back next time because we have so much more to share. And until then, take good care of you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.